Our reading is taken from Matthew chapter 28, verse 1 down to 7. In verse 1, In the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary, Magdalene, and the other Mary to see the sepulchre. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He's not here, for he is risen. And he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quick, and go quickly, and tell his disciple that he is risen from dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him, lo, I have told you. This is the word of the Lord. John, John chapter 19. We'll continue on in our walk to the cross today. John chapter 19, and also if Put a piece of paper into Luke 23, John 19 and Luke 23. Last week we saw the road to the cross and there were several stops along that road. At every step he chose to continue on. He did not have to do that. He chose. Every step of the way he chose to continue on. He had every right He had all the power that it ever would require to step away. He could call 72,000 angels to come down from heaven. That's the number that he said. I call 12 legions. A legion is 6,000. I could call 12 legions of angels to come down if I wanted. But instead, Peter, put your sword away. I give my life. No man takes my life from me. I lay it down. And I will take it up again. These are the words that the Lord Jesus said. There in the garden, He looked into the cup. We spoke of that last Sunday. He looked into the cup. The cup that represented the sin of the world. All of the vile wickedness that was of sin. The repercussions of sin upon mankind. The punishment on sin that God Himself would lay upon the Lord Jesus. And then even as it were, the wickedness that is the minions of hell, who in that moment, if you cannot keep him away from the cross, do everything that you can to keep him in the ground. I'm sure Satan has given the command to his minions, the demons, the tens of thousands of them, as the Lord Jesus looked into that cup and prayed, if it be your will, Father, If it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And he drank that cup, and 
as it were, He drank it completely and returned for you and I mercy and grace flowing from the throne of heaven for you and I to receive life everlasting. Oh, I'm thankful that He drank that cup. Today I'd like to walk through the remaining portions of this Scripture from John chapter 19, verse 16 down to the end of the chapter. I'd like to walk through the crucifixion. I'd like to briefly see the resurrection. Next Sunday we'll focus on the resurrection, but today I'd like to walk through the remaining portions of the crucifixion, and I will not leave you with Him in the grave, for He rose again after three days. We'll see that. And then after walking through that, I'd like to take a look. We'll walk back through and look at six different groups of people. And I wonder who you might associate most closely with today. Pilate is bringing him now before the people. That's where we left him off last Sunday, the end of John chapter 19, verses 14 to 16. We left off. John has written that... Pilate brings him before the people. Pilate had already sent him off to Herod, tried to shirk this responsibility, let Herod be the one that sends him to crucifixion. Herod sent him back. Pilate sends him to be scourged. Perhaps if the people will see him with a crown of thorns upon his brow, perhaps if they see him beaten, they'll have pity upon him. He has been scourged at this point. Pilate brings him with a mockery of a purple robe around him, stand him before the people in Pilate's words. Behold the man. I hear in those words, have pity upon him. Look upon him. You're calling for his death. At least see, I've punished him. Behold the man. And the people cried evermore, crucify him. The crowd is oh so fickle. For as that week began, they cried, Hosanna. And now as the week ends, they cry, crucify Him. Look with me now into verse number 16. Then delivered He, Pilate, delivered Him therefore unto them to be crucified. They took Jesus and they led Him away. And He, bearing His cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. And John's the only gospel that does not mention Simon of Cyrene. The other three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, mention him. I'll just point to Matthew 27 and verse 32. It says, As they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. It was a Roman custom that the one who was to be crucified as the last act of punishment before he was hung on the cross would carry his own cross to the place of crucifixion. Jesus was no exception to this. Jesus carried the cross. However, the Lord Jesus had already been beaten to the point, almost to the point of death. He has no energy, no strength remaining. And as he carries the cross to the point of crucifixion at Golgotha, he stumbles underneath the cross The Roman soldiers are in a haste. We're going to take him to Golgotha. He will die today. And I can just imagine as Jesus stumbles there in the midst of the crowd, the crowd is looking on. They just look through the crowd. We're going to grab someone. Simon, it does not say that Simon volunteered for this. In this moment, they just grab Simon. It says that he's from Cyrene, that is North African. I'll just put it bluntly. He stood out amongst the crowd. Most likely, Simon was black. He stood out amongst the crowd and those Roman soldiers grabbed him. You, carry the cross. And Simon carried the cross with Jesus to the place of the crucifixion. I wonder 
as he carried it, did he worry? Are they going to belt him up as well? Verse number 18. There they crucified him, the two other with him, one either side, one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. The writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews. People walking by saw it. They recognized it. They read it. This is the King of the Jews. The place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. If you could read that day, you read that sign. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not, don't write the king of the Jews, but write that he said, I am the king of the Jews. To the chief priests, this made a very big deal. Don't write the king of the Jews. Write, he said he's the king of the Jews. Pilate responds in verse 22. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. In this moment, I see a political struggle between Pilate and the chief priests. Pilate says, that's your king, I'll kill him. The chief priest says, he's not our king. He said he was our king, but he's not our king. The chief priests want it well known. We side with Rome on this one. And Pilate does not care for these chief priests in the least. They have forced his hand. Pilate did not want to crucify Jesus. Pilate wanted everything he could do to wash his hands and walk away from this. And I see in this moment a political struggle between Pilate and the chief priest. What will go above his head in this moment? I see, as it were, two dogs in the street snarling at each other, neither one of them having power. Pilate says, I write what I want to write. You force me to crucify him, I'll write what I want. We'll continue our reading in verse 23. Then the soldiers, when they'd crucified Jesus, took His garments and made four parts to every soldier a part, and also His coat. I see four soldiers here. The coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, they parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. It had been prophesied, and now it was fulfilled. Notice that God Almighty, in the midst of chaos, still maintains control. There stood by the cross of Jesus, verse 25, stood by the cross his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, by the way, that's John, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. John records more of the crucifixion than any of the other three Gospels. There's a reason that John's able to record with this kind of detail. It's because he's the only one of all of the apostles. He's the only one that stands here and endures it and watches every detail, soaking every detail in. And the Lord Jesus looks to John. John, care for my mother. Mom, that one's your son now. Matthew records that there are three hours of darkness upon the earth from noon until 3 p.m. And it was during this three-hour period that an infinite Father poured out His infinite wrath upon our sin and He laid it upon the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus in that span of darkness took the wrath of God that we could never take. 
He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. And in those three hours of darkness, God poured out His wrath. Matthew records that the Lord Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and He says this in Matthew 27, 46, about the ninth hour, 3 p.m., Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God. Why hast thou forsaken me? The light of the world was being extinguished. The one who breathed breath of life into man was about to breathe his last. The one who through the ages had basked in the glory of the angels now endured the spitting, reviling of evil men, speaking as it were with the tongues of hell. The lily of the valley being crushed by mortal men's hands. The Father was pouring out His wrath upon the Son. Because the wages of sin is death, He was paying our paycheck. My God. My God. He whoever was, whoever will be, the same from the beginning, never changing. Why hast thou forsaken me? John writes in verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, That the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Again, in the midst of chaos, He knows all is accomplished. Everything that He came to do is done. Do you hear these words? So that it might be accomplished, before He breathes His last, says, I thirst. He's in control. And there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. These were not the death throes of a man with no power. This was not the extinguishing of breath from a man who is run out of breath. This was the victorious cry of the Lord Jesus upon the cross in His language. To tell us, die, it is finished. These are the words of a man with victory. He cried, I have done everything I came to do. To tell us, die, it is finished. If ever there was a word that should ring through the minds of a believer, to tell us, die, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record that he said his last words with a loud voice. A man who is dying in whimpers does not cry with a loud voice. He cried, It is finished! I've done everything that I've come to do. I've accomplished the will of the Father. That which was set forth from the foundation of the world has now been accomplished on the cross. In three hours, in darkness, He set forth and He did it. And He bowed His head, it says in verse 30, and He gave up the ghost. 
No man takes my life from me. I give it up. And I will take it back. Christ fulfilled in that moment everything that was ever to be accomplished. All throughout the Old Testament, there were foreshadowings of Him who was to come. All of history, by the way, hinges upon this very moment. All of history. For from the foundation of the world, God had planned this moment. From the foundation of the world, He had called you and I. He had elected us. He had chosen us. And He would save us because of this moment. From the garden, when man fell in sin, God already had a plan. God did not look at Adam and Eve and say, Oh no, you've wrecked it all. Now I have to come up with plan B. Oh no, as soon as Adam fell, God knew what He was going to do. I will send one who will crush the head of the serpent. God already had it in plan. And He begins to unfold it. And then throughout all of the thousands of years of the Old Testament, God puts foreshadowings. He points forward to that which would be at the cross. And you can think of things like those sacrifices. The group saying this morning of the sacred lamb, those sacrifices from the garden, God planned a sacrifice as it were. We don't know what kind of animal, but perhaps could you imagine a lamb? He took the skin from that sacrifice and laid it upon Adam and Eve. This would be the covering that you would need. Your sins will be taken care of. Your nakedness will be covered as He becomes naked for us. And I look through all of those sacrifices at the Passover, even as they took the blood of the Passover in Exodus chapter 12. That lamb becomes your lamb. For ten days, that lamb is in your house. Can you imagine for ten days you bring a lamb like a puppy dog to come and live within your home? You come to love that lamb. And then you slit its throat and you catch the blood and you take the blood to the door and you apply it in the sign of the cross upon the top and upon both sides. There's a foreshadowing all throughout the Old Testament of the coming cross for this moment is the hinging point for all of history. God planned it. Look forward to it. The sacrifices. And after the cross, you don't need sacrifices anymore. For when that which is the fulfillment comes, you don't need a shadow anymore. The sacrifices pointed forward to Him. And now He has come. We no longer need sacrifices. And I think of all of the ceremonies that were needed for cleanliness. All throughout that Old Testament, there were all those times when someone could become unclean. Something like committing sin of commission or omission. Or maybe they touched something that they shouldn't have touched. Or maybe they handled a dead body. There was many things that would cause them to be unclean. But then in order to become clean, they had to go through a ceremony where they would wash themselves. And now He who has come has made us clean through His blood. We no longer have to go through a ceremony. All of those things of the Old Testament, He has become the fulfillment of the feast days. He's our feast. Upon Him we feast. His body is broken for you and me. And we come to Him knowing that we no longer have to uphold those feast days. And all of the law, He has fulfilled it. I think of the words of Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. The very words, the handwriting of ordinances... 
the meaning of that, all of the law that was against us, all of the law, you are sinful and you're apart from God. He took all of that law and He nailed it to the cross, taking it away for us. Friend, at the cross, all of history hinges. For all before it, look to the cross. That is our hope. And all of us since look back upon the cross. That is our hope. Oh friend, to tell us that it is finished. And in that moment, the curtain was torn in two. The veil was torn in two in the temple. This is a great moment. The veil. It was torn from the top down. That veil was very thick. Made of all kinds of animal skins woven together. That veil is not easily torn. A man cannot go to the veil and tear it. No, God reached down from heaven and pulled it back. Because that veil was the very thing that separated man from God. If you remember back to the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they had the temple. And in the temple, there were two rooms. Now, if you were a Gentile, you were not even permitted to come into the courtyard. But if you were a Jewish person, you could come into the courtyard with your sacrificial lamb. And I think of the day that was being used that day. You would come with your lamb. The priest would slit the throat of the lamb. Blood would be tossed upon the altar and you would carry your lamb home. Or on the Day of Atonement, when they would bring two goats in into the courtyard and they would lay all of the sin upon the scapegoat and that scapegoat would be taken away to a far place to be released and never to be brought back. And the other goat would be laid in, he would be sacrificed and he would be laid upon the altar. And the blood would be taken by the high priest. Now remember, the priests can go into the first room the holy place within the temple. But then only on the Day of Atonement, only once a year, the high priest could take that blood into the Holy of Holies. Within the Holy of Holies was what place where they, they thought of it like this, that's the residence of God Almighty. For within the Holy of Holies sat the Ark of the Covenant. Upon the Ark of the Covenant, the two seraphim with their Eyes and wings spread forward. Their wings touching, their eyes meeting at a glance in the middle and where that their eyes met, the Shekinah glory, the very glory of God would disseminate from the mercy seat, the throne of God on earth. And the high priest once a year would bring that blood to be put upon the offering onto the mercy seat to appease God for another year. Once a year, one high priest could bring one offering in to the Holy of Holies. And now God had torn because Christ, our sacrifice, offered once for all. Christ died for us. His body was torn. And God shredded the veil that kept man from Him. Because of the Lord Jesus, you and I can now come before God Almighty. We do not need a priest to carry any kind of sacrifice on our behalf. We don't have to have anything. We now have access to God. Brother, any moment you can bow your head and your heart in prayer to God Almighty and He will hear you. He will listen to you. And that's not because of anything you've done, but because of what He's done. 
the high priest, we have a high priest, the book of Hebrews says, who ever lives to make intercession for us, and he will never die. He entered into the Holy of Holies once so that you and I can continually come before him. With boldness, we can come before our Heavenly Father. Come back with me to verse number 31 now. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the bodies should not remain upon the cross of the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath was a high day. Besought Pilate that their legs might be broken, they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. And when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they brake not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record. His record is true. He knoweth that what he saith is true, that you might believe. That's John's kind way of saying, I was there firsthand and I saw it for myself, and you can trust me when I say this. Verse 36. These things were done that the Scripture should be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. He keeps all of his own. He gave up his own life before they came along with the club to break his leg. Because it had been prophesied, not a single bone of his would be broken. Can you imagine in all of the beating that they gave him, in all of the scourging, in the crucifixion as well, not a bone of his was broken. He keeps all of his. Verse 37, and again, another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they have pierced. He's still sovereign over all. The verses that follow, we won't read them. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus came and took his body down off of the cross. They washed his body. They wrapped his body in a linen cloth. And they used frankincense and other spices, myrrh and aloes and lots of spices. And they wrapped his body and they laid his body in the tomb. It was a borrowed tomb, unfinished, belonged to Joseph. He gave that tomb so that the Lord Jesus would have a place to lay. I love the fact that it was borrowed. He didn't need to keep it. You remember what we said last week that Satan's goal was to keep Jesus from going to the cross? And if Jesus went to the cross, his secondary goal would be to keep him in the grave. The chief priests had been paying attention when Jesus taught... The chief priests went before Pilate and they said, Hey, we heard him say that after three days he would rise again. The poor disciples had missed that part, even though Jesus had said it many times. The chief priests were paying attention. They told Pilate, We need some guys to guard the tomb. Friend, it doesn't matter how many people you try to put in front of the tomb to hold Jesus back. When he rises again from the grave, you cannot stop him. They put the soldiers there in front of the tomb. But on that third and glorious morning, Sunday morning, the day that we worship on Sunday morning, the Lord Jesus arose from the grave. He did not have to have them roll the tomb back. In fact, the Scriptures tell us that the angels came and rolled the the stone back later so that you and I could see inside of the tomb and see that it was empty. You see, the Lord Jesus rose from the grave, and when He rose from the grave, He folded His own napkin up inside, being nice and tidy, And then he walked through that stone without having to move it out. 
for us. And by the way, that's how it is with a resurrected body because later on we find that He comes to the upper room. He did not open the door. He appeared to the disciples. You ask me, how's that work? I haven't got a clue. That's Jesus for you. Over the next several hours that morning, the angels have a revolving door. As different disciples, Peter and John, come and visit the empty tomb. Mary comes. Different people come and these two angels proclaim the good news. He's risen indeed. If I can draw your attention down to chapter 20 and verse 11, I want you to see Mary Magdalene and her interaction with the Lord Jesus. Verse 11. Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. I don't know. Perhaps she thinks that this is a cruel joke. Perhaps she hasn't fully understood what's happened. There is a bit of a rumor. Somebody's stolen the body. There's a bit of a rumor. Maybe they've moved the body. Mary stands outside the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. So you get this picture. She's there at the door to the tomb and she's weeping. And she stoops down and looks inside. She sees the place where Jesus had been laid. She knew, by the way, exactly where He had been laid. She had been there when He was crucified. She had been there when they laid Him in the tomb. And now she comes back. Several other people have already been to this tomb and they've left. And now she comes and she's there and she's weeping. She looks inside and she sees two, it says two men. We know they're two angels, but they look like men. And she sees two men seated there, one at the head and one at the feet, but there's no body. Watch their response to her, verse 13. They say unto her, woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, they've taken away my Lord. You remember what happened with Mary Magdalene? She was very unclean. The Lord Jesus had cast out devils from her. I don't know what all of her life story was, but one thing's for sure, when Jesus changed her life, her life was absolutely changed. And she followed Him. She loved Him deeply. And here, she comes to the place where she wants to anoint His body. This is an act of respect. And His body is gone. And it breaks her to the core. They ask her, why are you weeping? And she wants to know, because they've taken away the body of my Lord, I don't know where they've laid Him, verse 14. And when she thus said, she doesn't even get to get an answer from them. When she thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing. She knew not that it was Jesus. So she turns away from the sepulcher and she turns her back and looks across. And there's Jesus there. Jesus doesn't look like Jesus, by the way. And I don't know if that's because His form has changed. I do know that His visage was marred more than any man. I don't know if that means that His face changed and what He looked like, or maybe it was the dusk morning of the dawn, and he not quite lit up completely. Verse 15, Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? Oh, Jesus knows the answer to every question He ever asks. The question that God asked to Adam in the garden, Adam, where art thou? He knew the answer. And the question that Jesus asks in the garden, He knew the answer. 
but he loves to hear our voice. Mary, who are you looking for? She, supposing him to be the gardener, said unto her, Sir, thou hast borne him hence, tell me where hast thou laid the body, and I'll take him away. Friend, gardener, if you've moved his body somewhere, just tell me where he's at. She doesn't know who she's talking to yet. Verse 16, and Jesus said one, one word to her. Jesus said unto her, Mary. Do you remember the day when he called you by name? Drew you out. You who were dead in your trespasses and sins. He called you out. And he gave you life. She turned herself and said unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. She recognized his voice at that moment. As I look through the crucifixion and the resurrection, I see a number of people, and I wonder this morning who you might associate yourself the most with. And so, glance back with me into chapter 19, and look at verse 25. I see the women here. I wonder if maybe you might associate yourself with the women. Look at verse 25. There stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. In other places it's written that Salome also was there. Salome was the mother of James and John, Zebedee's children. Have these women, they loved the Lord Jesus. Obviously his mother did. I think back to the words that were spoken by Simeon and Luke. Luke recorded that. Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the Temple Mount. Do you remember that story? When Jesus was just a babe. They took Jesus there and Lapun Simeon makes this statement. This is what he said. This is Luke chapter 2 and verse 35. He's overjoyed that he gets to see Jesus, but here's what he said to Mary. He said, Yea, a sword shall pierce thine own soul also. Oh, he'll be the one that will save Israel, but Mary, your soul will be pierced. And on that day, as she followed Jesus to the cross, her soul pierced. I might say it like this. Mary and these other women... They're not bad people. They're good people. They just happen to be in a bad spot. But the truth of the matter is they needed forgiveness just like everybody else does. For it doesn't matter how good you are, friend. The Scriptures say it in Romans 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned. Every single one of us has sinned and every single one of us is in need of forgiveness. And in the fact that Jesus went to the cross, He was providing forgiveness for those women, even his own mother. I wonder if you see yourself maybe perhaps among the multitude. Look at 19 and verse 37. Again, another scripture saith, They shall look on him whom they pierced. I see here the multitude of people. There's not much that can be said about them except that they looked on. They watched as this happened. I mentioned earlier, do you remember how fickle the crowd was? For on Palm Sunday, they laid out the palm branches and laid their own clothes upon the floor so that the donkey wouldn't have to walk through the dirt. And on that day, they cried, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they shouted, knowing, this is the King. This is the one who was prophesied. We expected this one. And here He is. And yet, less than a week later, they cried, crucify Him, crucify Him. And now they stand looking on. Luke says it this way. Luke 23 and verse 35. And the people stood beholding 
You hear it in the word? Behold, they're watching with shock. They can't even believe it. They've watched the miracle maker rise from the triumphal entry to be hung on the cross. And the multitude stands there in shock. And some of them, this is Luke 23 and verse 48, all the people came together to that site beholding the things which were done. And they smote their breasts. They're shocked. They can't believe this has happened. They walk away and they return and they go about their business. Uh, Can I say it a different way? They walked away just going, it is what it is. There's nothing I can do about this. And I think of people even today that look back on that and maybe they say, yeah, Jesus, good person, great teacher, good man, maybe even the Son of God went to the cross. People killed Him. People are fickle. That's the way it is. It is what it is. I wonder if you find yourself associating that way today. They too needed forgiveness. And the Lord Jesus was hanging on the cross to provide forgiveness for them as well. I see another group, the priests. Those chief priests, we saw earlier their interaction with Pilate. Listen to the words of Mark chapter 15 and verse 31. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, He saved others. Himself He cannot save. And then verse 32, Let Christ the King of Israel descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. They mocked Him. And don't even think for one moment that if Christ had come down off the cross that they would have believed Him because they had the example, Exhibit A, that we spoke of last week, who just a few weeks before had been risen from the dead. Lazarus, Jesus had risen Lazarus from the dead. And what did they want to do to Lazarus? They wanted to kill Him. Why? Because He overturned their own belief structure. So now if Jesus were to crawl down off of the cross and save Himself, they still would not believe. Jesus' words to the rich man in hell, even if one came back from the dead, they wouldn't listen. And by the way, these chief priests have their attention split right now. Their attention is split two ways. One, kill Jesus. And uh, the other, we still have a Passover to get to. You realize that they've sent Jesus to the cross in the morning. All through the night before, they've been doing everything they can to get Pilate to put Him on the cross, to crucify Him. They had Him there as the sun came up. When Pilate's first waking in the morning, they've already had all of their shams of trials the night before. And now when Pilate wakes up 7 o'clock in the morning, they've got Jesus there ready and condemned to die. And yet, of interest, Pilate takes Jesus into the praetorium, the place of a Gentile, and those chief priests refuse to go into the praetorium. Why? Because a Jewish man cannot go into a Gentile residence without becoming unclean. And these chief priests stood outside, as it were, waiting, let the condemnation come back to us so that we can go ahead with our Passover day and continue to be clean while we kill the Son of Glory. What a sham. And all throughout this, they've been putting Jesus to the cross while they're trying to maintain their own cleanliness so that they can continue on with the Passover lambs in their cleanness. Oh, their minds are split in this moment. They've got something that they need to hurry up and get back to. And if you remember, as the day progressed on, they're the ones that went to Pilate and said, we cannot leave these hanging on the cross overnight. 
We can't do that because if someone hangs on the cross overnight, they become a curse, and we cannot have any part of that. That comes out of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verse 22 says this, If a man hath committed a sin worthy of death, and he be put to death, now hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night upon the tree, but thou shalt in any ways bury him that day. For he that is hanged is accursed of God. So these chief priests are going to that verse and they're saying, don't let him stay overnight on the cross because if he does, then it's a curse and we don't want to have anything to do with a curse. Unless you think for one moment that this only has to do with someone who has a rope being hung from a tree, the Apostle Paul brings this verse to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13. Here's the words that he has to say in Galatians 3. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. The Lord Jesus went to the cross and became a curse for you and I. He became our curse so that we could receive His blessing. And these chief priests want Him dead. They want to mock They have their attention split in multiple places. And they need forgiveness. They don't deserve it. But neither do you and I. They all need forgiveness. We've seen the women and we've seen the multitude. We've seen the priests. Now let's have a look at the soldiers. See them in uh, chapter 19 and verse 23 and verse 24. Verse 23. The soldiers, when they crucified Jesus, took His garments and made four parts to every soldier a part. And also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said therefore among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be. That the scripture might be fulfilled which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. And so I see these soldiers there. These are thugs. They're following orders. There's four of them. Most likely these four soldiers are now parting the belongings of the prisoner. Jesus hanging on the cross. He won't have need of these belongings anymore. And so these four soldiers split up. And perhaps this is the way they did with every criminal that they put on the cross. They split them up. But there was one piece of clothing that's of interest. And by the way... This is recorded in all four Gospels. I think this was a big deal to all four Gospel writers. The fact that this coat did not get cut up and given into four pieces. Now when we say the word coat in our current usage of the language, we think of a coat as being that which we wear on the outside. But the people of that day wore two main pieces of clothing and the coat was actually their undergarment. They had the coat and then they had the cloak. And now with the word cloak, you can understand and you remember Jesus mentioned many times about the cloak. Only take one cloak and if someone asks you for a cloak, give you a cloak. The coat was the undergarment. And the fact that Jesus' coat was sewn as a single piece all throughout. You can just imagine the men would wear this 
coat would go all the way. Men and ladies both wore very similar. The ladies would go all the way to the ankles. The men would go down and many times they would tighten it at the waist and bring it up a little bit. A servant would only have a coat that would go to his knees. But this similar piece of clothing would go all the way down, woven. And if it's woven as one piece, you can imagine, this is handmade. They didn't pick this up at the second hand. This is handmade, most likely tailored specifically for Jesus. His body. And they've sewn this. Someone, we don't know who it is, someone has made that coat. There's no seam in it. For him, And these four soldiers recognize the craftsmanship that's associated with this coat. And they say, it would be a shame for us to cut this up and divide it in four ways. Let's gamble. And they gambled, rolled the dice, pulled the sticks. However they did it, they cast lots so that they could figure out who is it that would get the coat. Bear with me for just a moment. Because if that was recorded four times, there's significance in that. The Holy Spirit never repeats Himself without having done it for a reason. And I think to myself, what's going on here? And here's what I've got. Maybe it's what God's going for and maybe not. So just bear with me. His cloak was torn by men. I see His cloak, a picture of His physical body. You see, God was 100, or Jesus was 100% man, and yet He was 100% God. His body was torn and shredded. But you know what was left intact? His deity never changed one little bit. And do you realize that when it came time for those pieces of His belongings to be given out, the lot belongs to the Lord. God chooses to whom He will give His righteousness. And I just think to myself, what a picture. The coat of Jesus picturing the pure, righteous divinity of Jesus Christ, 100% God. And He has chosen to make you and I who put our trust in Him, He has chosen to make us the sons of God. Every bit clean. He took on Himself sin so that He might make us the righteousness in God. And they're the soldiers, one of them, the next day, is wearing the coat of Jesus. He didn't deserve it. But then again, neither do you and I. They needed forgiveness. We've seen the women. We've seen the multitude. We've seen the priests. We've seen the soldiers. Let's have a look at the thieves. Verse 17, he Bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull. It's called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him, two other with him, on either side one, and Jesus in the midst. At the beginning of the sermon, I asked you to put a piece of paper into Luke chapter 23. Would you look there with me? Luke 23 and verse 39. One of the malefactors, which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. This wicked thief has not recognized that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he looks upon Jesus and mocks. Can I just say this? His mockery was not at all original because the chief priests have been saying this all along. Have you ever seen a thug kid repeat things he's heard from somebody else? And you think to yourself, 
Come up with an original thought, pal. And that's what this thief is. He's a thug kid. Has no original thought of his own. The chief priests have been mocking, so this thug thief joins in in the mockery. If you're really the Christ, then save us. But the other one, not so much. Look at verse 40. The other answering rebuked him, saying, Dost thou not fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And indeed, we indeed justly, we deserve it. We receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. Oh, the other thief recognized it. He realized, we deserve it, but that one doesn't. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Confession, repentance, forgiveness, grace. And I might just make a statement here. That thief never prayed a sinner's prayer. He never got baptized. He never took communion. He never approached anybody for help. He went straight to Jesus and trusted in the Lord Jesus. And I think of the words of Romans chapter 10 and verse number 9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Friend, I wonder, before I go to the last one, I wonder if you've put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for that in itself is what will save you. You see, without the Lord Jesus, the wrath of God abides upon you and you are separated from Him. But the Lord Jesus went to the cross and took your sin and He absorbed the wrath of God upon Himself. This is the Gospel. And if you but trust in Him, He extends forgiveness and He gives us eternal life. There's one last one that I want you to see. You're in Luke 23, so just stay in Luke 23. Look at verse 26. We've mentioned this guy already, but I want you to see him. I wonder where you see yourself in this picture this morning. I wonder if you see yourself as a wicked sinner that's always hated Christianity, or maybe you see the church as being filled with bad people. Guess what? The church filled with bad people need Jesus too. Maybe like some people that we haven't named, like Judas, hung out with Jesus, but gave him over when the price was right. Maybe like Pilate. You feel like you've got some authority in your hands. Maybe you're like the multitude and you can't make sense out of it. It just is what it is. Maybe you're like Nicodemus, questioning and skeptical at times. But then as time goes on, you realize who he really is. Can I encourage you? You can trust him. Luke 23 and verse 26, we see the last one. They let it, as they led him away... They laid hold upon Simon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. I think of Simon that day. It was recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John's the only one that did not record it. This is recorded in all three. It must have been significant in the minds of the apostles, and I imagine they probably retold it many times for the rest of their lives. And I wonder about this. What's going on here spiritually? What's going on as Simon came alongside? And I don't think it is anything to do with Jesus' phrase. You remember Jesus' phrase? If any man will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. I don't think that's what this is. Because Simon 
is not carrying his own cross, he's carrying Jesus' cross. So there's a completely different spiritual picture going on here. And by the way, all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the cross, there are pictures that are happening. And I hope that you'll take the time as you look at this story to observe the pictures. And here in this picture, I see Simon as a believer. You know what he's doing? He's associating in Jesus' death. There is nobody else in this entire scene that does it as well as Simon does. Let me help you. Some of you are looking at me like, what are you talking about? I'll help you with some verses that we saw when we were in Romans. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Hear these words. No, you're not. So many of us as we were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into His death. When you put your trust in the Lord Jesus, God associates you with the death of Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Here's verse 4. Therefore we're buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead... By the glory of the Father, even so, we also should walk in newness of life. So in the cross, brothers and sisters, when we put our trust in the Lord Jesus, it's as if God retroactively puts you back at the cross with Jesus. Hear these words. And listen to these words as Simon carries the cross for Jesus. Galatians 2.20 I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who me and gave Himself for me. Do you see this picture? Do you see the picture that's going on here? As Simon saddles up with the Lord Jesus, oh, he didn't choose it. He was chosen. Just like you and I. We were chosen, and in we come with Christ. I carry the cross with Jesus. He takes my death. I get His life. I'm crucified with Him, and He lives, and I live in Him. So that everything for you and I as believers, everything that you and I have as hope in our Christian life, points right back to the cross. So that... When I cry, Abba, Father, I cry it with confidence looking back at the cross. You remember Romans 8, 31 and 32? If God be for us, who can be against us? If He did that which was the hardest thing ever, if He spared not His own Son but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? If God put Jesus on the cross, the hardest thing ever, how is it that He will hold back any good thing from us? So that when I cry, Abba, Father, I throw my hand up. I need you, Dad. I need you right now. My confidence is found in the cross. For I know that if He did the cross, everything else is easy. And I look back upon the cross with courage. For if I'm going to ever be courageous, it will be in the shadow of the cross. For if I'm going to do anything for Him, I'm going to do it for Him because of the cross. For all the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus at the cross. In Him, all of His promises are filled. In Him are yes and amen. 
And if I'm going to overcome sin and temptation in my life, it's going to happen because of the cross. I'm going to look back at the cross and I'm going to see I'm in Him. I'm crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that lives, but Christ that lives in me. And this life, new life that I'm living is because of Him. And so we look upon the cross as a glorious symbol. So I ask this morning again, I wonder who you associate with. Maybe with the women. Maybe with the multitude. I hope you don't associate yourself with the priests. Maybe in a way today you can associate yourself with the soldier in a way you've not associated before. Maybe like a thief or like Simon of Cyrene. But you cannot walk away without questioning. Where do I stand? With heads bowed and eyes closed, I'd like to have a word of prayer with you this morning. Father, I pray that your word would come clear to our hearts. Grace that is found at the cross. Mercy we don't deserve. Lord, you did not show mercy on your son. You showed mercy on us because of your son. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we would look upon ourselves with seriousness and that we would examine ourselves. Before I close, I wonder if there might be some among us this morning that you say, Pastor, this morning I've heard the gospel and I know that I need to put my trust in the Lord Jesus. And I'd love to talk to somebody about that this morning. If you're like that this morning, would you just raise your hand where you are? I'll end up sending somebody to you. And then the two of you can go off to the side and talk for a few minutes. Is there anybody like that this morning? You say, Pastor, I'd love to talk to somebody about putting my trust in the Lord Jesus. Is there one like that this morning? Just raise your hand. I won't embarrass you. I won't call you out. And if you raise your hand, we'll have somebody come. And two of you can sit down on the side. Is there anybody like that this morning? I'd love to put my trust in the Lord Jesus. And so, Father, you see our hearts this morning. You know our frame. I pray that we would come to Jesus loving the cross, thanking you for what you've done. And as we look forward to next week, next Sunday, seeing the resurrection and the importance of it, oh, what would have happened if there had been no resurrection? Our hope would be in vain. And I want to thank you this morning for sending your son, the Lord Jesus, to the cross for our sins. Thank you, Lord, for raising him again on the third day. It's for that reason that we rejoice together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.